Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Let's see, it's 1 July, Sunday, time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And we have somebody that just walked in just as we were singing, apparently, because I didn't see him before that, is David and your daughter, correct? Holly, from, they're from England. They're outside of Oxford, England, and a place called Quainton Village. Did I pronounce that right? Okay, and we are, we are honored to have you guys here. So thank you for coming. And let's see here. Israel. Israel is our first category, as always. So... I'll make this comment right now because there are all kinds of, you know, you go to these prophecy websites and people just tend to really blow their theology and one of them is end time stuff. Um, You know, Trump has got a peace plan out there, okay? Clinton had a peace plan out there. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Carter, the peanut guy. He had a peace plan out there. All right. Trump is not, his peace plan is not going to be approved by these people. It's not going to be accepted. He's not the Antichrist, any of those type of things. Okay, it's very clear that the, the peace plan is going to come as is outlined in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. So if you've got something in your mind that Trump is somehow, you know, leading us to the end times because he's submitting a peace plan, well, everybody's submitted a peace plan. Mickey Mouse has submitted a peace plan, okay? It doesn't mean that it's going to be approved. It may be inculcated at, you know, some of his points because he's a very good negotiator into the final peace plan that the Antichrist submits, whatever. But it's not going to happen, and I thought I'd just give you my two cents on that. because just don't make it seven years. Yeah, just don't make it seven years, exactly. Because if it's a seven-year peace plan, then we've already got something working that somebody's going to snag onto that for sure. But it's not Trump. Just so everybody knows that, I support our president. He's doing great things, and he, he is not the Antichrist, okay? Same thing with Obama. Everybody was saying he's Obama, and they had all these things about his name and about this and that. And I said right from the beginning, the guy is not. He doesn't fit Daniel 9, 24 through 27. When that guy comes along, it'll be more apparent to those, you know, that understand these things. But it it wasn't him. No chance there. Anyway, Behold Israel is our first article. Israel receives three F-35 jets, bringing the total now to 12. They got some a few months ago. They got three more. The IAF received three additional F-35 stealth jets, bringing its total to 12. Israel is set to receive 50 total F-35 jets by 2024 and is the first country to have used the jets in combat, something I've already reported on. The F-35, called the Adir, is capable of carrying over 16 tons of bombs and missiles and is most unique for having the most advanced stealth technology of any aircraft. The Adir comes from the Bible. It means mighty, strong, something like that. Okay, just thought I'd throw that in. But um, the F-35 is also Israel's solution to the S-300, as is capable of evading the air defense system. Okay, the S-300 is sold by Russia to the Syrians and to the Iranians, etc. And so um, this plane can evade that particular weapon system. Israel's the first country, aside from the United States, to acquire the world's most advanced fighter jets. So we've got America and Israel with it right now. And great stuff there. From the Jerusalem Post, 
Bulgaria, who voted against, back when they, uh, Trump moved the, um, what do you call it, the embassy to Jerusalem, and the UN came up with its vote against it and all that. Bulgaria voted with the UN, but I think they've had a small change in heart. This is kind of a symbolic gesture only, but Bulgaria to put honorary consulate, not an embassy, in Jerusalem. Bulgaria will, as a first step, open an honorary consulate in Jerusalem that will not only deal with Bulgarian interests in the capital, but throughout the country. Diplomatic sources, however, said that the move has little real significance. Bulgaria's embassy is currently located, like all the rest of Mar in Tel Aviv. All right, from the Times of Israel. Israel to begin promoting railway linking Haifa seaport with Saudi Arabia. This is something I reported on before. The Chinese want this. They can make, a, you know, uh, ship stuff in through the south and bring it up, you know, up into Europe and all that. Other people have wanted to do this. But the fact that this is actually being prepared by Israel to hook up to Saudi Arabia is really amazing. Here we go. Prime Minister Netanyahu and Transportation Minister Israel Katz agreed this week to begin promoting their Tracks for Regional Peace, Peace initiative that will create a trade route connecting Europe with the Persian Gulf and Israel. It is based on the planned extension of railway tracks in northern Israel, which would link Haifa's seaport to Jordan's rail network, which in turn would be linked with that of Saudi Arabia and other Sunni Arab states. Notice that it doesn't include any of the Shia states, okay? So they're forming an alliance right now in order, this is all done because of one country over there causing trouble, Iran, okay? But this is wonderful that this is happening. All right, it says, the network is envisioned as creating a regional transportation system to enhance trade relations and promote peaceful coexistence, which is never going to really happen until Christ returns, but... That's their goal. There are two central components at the heart of this initiative. Israel is a land bridge between Europe and the Mediterranean and Jordan, and Jordan is a regional transportation hub which will be connected to a railroad system to Israel and the Mediterranean in the west, to Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, and Iraq in the east and southeast, and to the Red Sea through Aqaba and Eilat in the south. Beyond its contribution to Israel's economy, the Jordanian and the Fakistinian economies, the initiative will connect Israel economically and politically to the region and will consolidate the pragmatic camp in the region. The existing transportation infrastructure in Israel, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf will allow for the application of the initiative in a relatively short amount of time. So, and they want it done quickly because the more they have this alliance, the more they have this ability to transfer goods between each other, the more they're going to be able to stem off Iran. We know Gog Magog is coming. It's going to be, maybe this will play a part in it. I don't know, but it's very interesting that they're going through these motions right now. And then from Israel Hayom, Netanyahu's water tech offer draws wave of Iranian support. I reported on it. I gave a small comment on it. Now I'm going to read you a larger article based on what has happened. Prime Minister Netanyahu's video offering to share Israeli water technology with the Iranians racked up 5 million views in the first five days it was online, 1.6 million of which were on Netanyahu's own social media channels. Perhaps more significantly, nearly 100,000 Iranians joined the Israeli government's Farsi language Telegram account within 24 hours of the video going live. 
all in all, this was the second most watched Netanyahu video after a presentation in which Netanyahu unveiled an Iranian nuclear archive smuggled out of Iran by two Israeli agents. So the interest between Iran and Israel is huge if this is the second most watched video and the first dealt with Iran as well. In the video posted a week ago, now about a week and a half ago, Netanyahu addresses the Iranian people directly, offering to teach Iran how to manage its water resources. The video received wide media coverage in Iran, including on the state news agency IRNA and the website of Radio Farda, the most popular station in the country, and Radio Zaman. However, news agencies affiliated with the Iranian regime were unsurprisingly critical of Netanyahu's video. The ISNA, yes, of course, the ISNA agency claimed that while the residents of Gaza are suffering because of the Zionist regime and they took away their water, the leader of the Zionist regime announces that he wants to help the Iranians overcome the drought. All lies, complete lies, but that's okay. While the Tehran regime rejected Israel's offer, Iranian internet users welcomed the idea and leveled criticism at their own government. One user commented, we wish them death and they bless us with life. I am ashamed to be an Iranian. Another posted, God will bless Israel and Netanyahu. I'm sure that Iran and Israel will once again be allies. Good stuff there. And that will happen, but it won't be until a lot of death and destruction comes about. But we, I don't know if you realize this, but they were very, very strong allies in the past. When they were under the Shah, Israel and Iran were very close. And that all ended with the uh, taking over by the Kami uh, Muslims, but anyway, um, Christian news this week. Uh, a couple things before I get into our first article. This week, 6th July, as I already told our church, begins the book of Philemon, which I do, you know, a commentary, verse-by-verse -verse commentary. We started in Romans, and we're up to uh, Philemon starting on 6th July. If you want to learn this really wonderful short book, I mean, it's really wonderful, then uh Go to the Superior Word website every day on today. Just click on it, and it'll bring it up, or you can go to the archives after that. Go under writings. But uh, we're just finishing up Titus. For those of you who started with Titus and have stuck with it, I know that you've benefited. It was a marvelous book. It gives a lot of really good instruction. Paul's got some uh, good tongue-in-cheek stuff in there and other stuff, but Philemon is a real tender, heartfelt book. If you want to learn it, it's going to take you, I think, what, 19 verses or something long. It'll take you half a month to get through. You'll love it. Okay, and the second thing is I want to say that we have the best, the best congregation in the world, and I don't mean just here in church. I mean people that attend this church online. Okay, does everybody remember that um, uh, Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis asked for money for a airplane. Uh, airplane, their own jet, right? They had to ask, they had to ask for it. I didn't have to ask and I got my own jet. Listen to this. Hey, no, I'm, I'm serious. Listen, this is Mark Finley out in Colorado wrote me a letter. He said, since all the pastors are getting private jets, I thought you need one also. I bought one for you. Hope you enjoy it. I have... Air Force One, right here. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's got the little coverings for the engines when it's not in use. You take those off, and I've got my own Air Force One. This is a lot better than Duplantis and Copeland have, by a long shot. So i got to tell you, thank you so much, Mark. That, that made my day. That absolute, I, I opened that up, and I just laughed out loud. I got my own private Air Force One. And, you know, it's got the... Uh, 
traditional, if you can see it, the traditional 747 hump on it, which, you know, that's when I flew uh, from Malaysia to America and back, I'd always be in that business class, which is far better than, than first class up in the nose. I'm telling you, business class was where it was at. You had your own stewardess. You had, got to go upstairs to sit up there, and uh, it, it was marvelous. So anyway, now I've got my own, my own, and I'll be flying out to visit all of the congregation over the next few weeks. <laughs> Uh, thank you. All right, let's see here. From uh, Aritz Shiva. This isn't surprising, but might as well report on it. Presbyterian Church USA, which is no longer a church except in name only, um, passes anti-Israel resolutions. The PCUSA passed several resolutions critical of Israel at its biennial General Assembly, which they do every time. Among the 11 resolutions on Israel that the Assembly dealt with late was one opposing anti-BDS legislation at the state and federal level, and another referring to Israel as an apartheid state. The Assembly also voted against resolutions that it said was not sufficiently critical of Israel because they also mentioned the Fakistanian Authority transgressions. So because it mentioned that, we can't have that. So particularly of the terrorist group Hamas. A resolution on the recent violence between Gaza rioters and Israeli troops on the border with the coastal strip was stripped of references to the terrorist organization Hamas. Imagine that, which has fomented violence on the border. The amended resolution completely removes Hamas, about which some members of the Middle East Committee expressed misgivings, passed by a vote of 438 to 34. You might as well, if you're one of those 34 and you have any conscience left at all, bail out. Get out of there. It, this is not a church that the Lord is pleased with. I mean, that lampstand has been pulled. Okay, folks? Uh, anyway, let's see here. The assembly also voted against a resolution that would have ended the church's classification of Israel as a colonial project. It also voted down a resolution for the protection of the children of Israel and Fakistan, saying it conflates the treatment of Arab children under the rule of the Fakistanian Authority and of Hamas in Gaza and does not focus enough on Israel's alleged mistreatment of Fakistanian children which is just absolutely crazy. If they would just simply pick up the news and read it, not the MSM, which is total lies, they'd understand what's going on over there. It's just, it, whatever. All right, Shiva. Trump, evangelicals are more appreciative than Jews of the embassy move. I don't know if you saw this interview, but uh, this is what he said. Trump made the assertion during an interview aired over last weekend with Mike Huckabee. I tell you what, I get more calls of thank you from evangelicals, and I see it in the audiences and everything else, than I do from Jewish people. And the Jewish people appreciate it, but the evangelicals appreciate it more than the Jews. It's not a surprise, though, Mr. President, because evangelicals are a part of the book, Huckabee said. And they believe you kept a promise. We're fulfilling, really, a 3,000-year-old commitment to recognize Jerusalem as the capital. I think it's a nice thing to say because it really affects Jewish people in theory more. But, as you say, people of the book, people of the Bible. But the evangelicals really appreciate it, and that makes me feel good. So, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. I like our president. I like what he's doing. I like his panache. I like that he just puts it back in the face of people that are so against him. He's just, he's a great guy. From the Voice of Europe, Catholic children forced, Catholic children now, this Catholic schooling, forced to learn Islamic songs at Austrian elementary school. You know, and they allow this Catholic 
children have to memorize and recite Islamic songs as part of the Islamic Ramadan festival. They were forced to take part and were punished if they refused. Here's a mother speaking. We were on our way home, and when he suddenly started to sing Allah, Allah, a shocked mother of one of the students says, he learned that at school and had to sing it. Mom, we have to get involved, the teacher said. If we do not do that, we'll have to go to the director, and then there'll be punishment. The son reported in fear of his mother's reprisals. For two months, he had to rehearse the songs. As the mother points out, she has no problem whatsoever with other students living out their religions. I was only shocked that all the children had to join in, she says, emotionally. The mother adds that she has nothing against the Muslim festival, but every pupil should have a chance to opt out. But the situation at the school was clearly different. The Islamic religious teacher came to the children in the class and ordered the students to learn the appropriate Ramadan songs because the whole class must celebrate this festival. Absolutely crazy. Islam today. Speaking of Islam, Daily Wire. Trump winning in Iran, foreign minister fears collapse of nuclear deal. Good stuff. Iran's foreign minister, Muhammad Javad Zarif, admitted to the Iran Chamber of Commerce that the collapse of the 2015 nuclear deal would have very dangerous consequences for the country. With protests mounting in the country against the government in full swing, I don't know if you've been watching that, but they are in huge protest mode right now which they had before, and remember our previous president, when they had the Muslim Brotherhood all over, you know, Egypt and Tunisia and all that, he just supported them, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then as soon as Iran started to perk up, we better not get involved in that. We, they would have overthrown that country. We wouldn't have this trouble. We'd have what we have down south, but no. Okay, so uh, let's see here. With protests mounting in the country against the government in full swing, what Zarif is likely referring to is the fact that any more pressure on Iran's economic system and the government will fall. Reuters reported the Iranian rial plunged to a record low against the dollar on the unofficial market, continuing its slide amid fears of returning U.S. sanctions after President Trump withdrew from a deal on Tehran's nuclear program. The plunging rial is catalyzing even more protests. Zarif told the Iran Chamber of Commerce, we can talk the deal up or talk it down, but we should know that a failure of the deal will have very dangerous consequences for us. Good. This is certainly not the system's choice. Zarif said the failure of the deal could leave Iran politically isolated. After President Trump jettisoned the Iran nuclear deal in May, a huge Indian energy company cut its oil imports from Iran virtually in half. Boeing announced it would not deliver aircraft to Iran. If they need one, I can send this to them. They can use that, okay? <laughs> and um, Russia's second biggest oil producer announced it had put on hold plans to develop projects in Iran. Good, put the squeeze back on them. That's where we should be at. From Jerusalem Post, Listen carefully to this title. Iranians protest dwindling economy shout death to Palestine, not Israel, Palestine. Imagine that. Thousands of Iranians returned to the streets of Tehran in response to the significant devaluation of the country's currency, the rial which is disrupting business by driving up costs of imports. And they know it's their country's fault. They're protesting their country and their country's policies towards 
the Fakistanians. Death to Fakistan. Help us, not Gaza, and leave Syria alone and deal with Iran, protesters shouted, calling on the Iranian regime to invest in its own economy rather than interfering in other spheres throughout the Middle East. Protesters gathered in the streets and shopping malls and outside the parliament building where they clashed with security forces. Iran Freedom, a popular Twitter account dedicated to bringing freedom and democracy to Iran, wrote that the protesters asked security forces to join the protests instead of breaking them up. So they're even asking Iran security forces, come and join us. Let's take this country back. It's not going to happen. We know they're part of Gog Magog coming down, but it's good that the pot is being stirred. It's allowing Israel time to get more uh, F-35s. Things are being allowed because of these delays. So we shouldn't look at it as something bad. We should look at it as something good. The inevitable is coming. Gog Magog, Russia, Turkey, all of these countries are coming against the the country of Israel. They're coming against, um, you know, the uh, Saudis are going to just stand off to the side and not get involved. We know these things, but... The delays are a helpful thing. They're not a harmful thing. All right. From Amman News. Amman is in Jordan. Uh, Iran Revolutionary Guards. Our front lines are in Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. Iranian officials occasionally boast about their meddling in the affairs of neighboring countries. But the most recent example of this was seen when the deputy commander of the IRGC, Brigadier General Salami Baloney, described the interference as an art, his name is Salami, but anyway, um, as an interference as an art practice by the Islamic Republic in the region. General Salami Baloney said his country succeeded in taking the battle with the enemy to far distances, describing Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria as the front lines of Iran's war with its enemies. The elite Quds Force unit, the military arm of the Revolutionary Guards, has openly allied with militias and provided them with weapons in Syria, Lebanon, Yemen, and in Iraq in recent years. Salami Baloney said that as time progresses, our revolution has grown and enemy front lines have widened. The Iranian general said that Iran lacked an organized force and that the art of the revolution lies in its strength to engage the enemy in large areas. In reference to Iranian military intervention and in other countries, referring indirectly to Lebanon's Hezbollah and claiming that Hezbollah could shift the balance of power in the Middle East and become a deterrent element for Iran's interests and that by Israel's hopes will diminish. You can see everything focuses right on what they're doing towards Israel. Salami Baloney boasted about the militias his country created in Syria, noting that Israel sees the manifestations of this force when it hears the various languages of Urdu, Afghani, Indian, Yemeni, and Farsi, and that Israel feels the existence of what he described as the international Islamic force near its borders, adding that America and Europe are powerless in the face of this force. So he's delusional, but you can see this is his idea of what's going on over there. And it's scary because they want to continue this until they march right into Israel and destroy Israel. From the Jerusalem Post, something we reported on, and now it finally has come about. Jerusalem Post, Saudi women take victory laps as driving ban ends. And from the Superior Word News Service, mascara-related car accidents in Saudi Arabia up 1,322%. Yes, it is. It's Superior Word News Service. It must be true. Come on. Mongolia today. 
Xinhua, Mongolia to host International Ultra Marathon. The Gobi March Ultra Marathon, one of the four races in the Desert Race Series, will be held from July 29th to August 4th for the first time in Mongolia. 230 ultra marathoners from more than 40 countries will participate in the race. Now, I got to tell you something. This doesn't interest me at all. I mean, soccer doesn't interest me. Football doesn't interest me. Baseball doesn't interest me. But marathons, I'm t- but it's interesting. I mean, it interests me in the sense that it's interesting, but I wouldn't watch it. I would never participate in it. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, organizing the event is a great opportunity for promoting the country through tourism. The Four Desert Race Series is an annual series of four 250-kilometer races across deserts around the globe, including the Gobi March in China, the Sahara Race in Namibia, the Atacama Crossing in Chile, and the Last Desert in... Anybody know where that is? The Last Desert? Antarctica. That does not interest me even... Oh, yeah, no way. The Gobi March's challenges include changes in temperature from the hot highlands to the oppressive cold and sand dunes, the open sun, potential sandstorms, and a variety of terrain. The International Ultra Marathon has been consistently named by Time Magazine as one of the top 10 endurance events in the world. Wow, those are some hardy folks. Like I said, I'm interested in the fact that they do this, but you would never see me joining them. That would never happen. All right, Daniel 12, technology. I've got an award if anybody can tell me what omniphobic means. Omniphobic. What? Scared of everything. That sounds correct, but it's not, but it's very close. I'm not close, but it's a very good guess. Um, Omniphobic. Here we go. From Mail Online. U.S. Navy reveals super slippery submarine and warship coating that lets craft slide through the water more easily. Yes, American military researchers have developed a radical new coating that could help submarines and boats slide through the water more easily. They say the radical omniphobic coating could save millions in fuel costs. They just apply it on the outside and you reduce the fuel costs completely. Now, if they have patented this, the U.S. government, and they start, because U.S. government holds patents and anything that's bought under those patents, I don't care who buys it anywhere in the world, they make money off of it. If they hold this patent, guess what? They could sell this to shipping companies around the world, and they could make zillions, okay? And plus, save the shipping companies a lot in the process. But anyway, we'll go on. Um, You know, the thing that goes on the back of when you put your car in reverse and goes beep, 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 right? Especially trucks and stuff. A guy I know invented that. It was in the U.S. Navy, and he just hooked one up in order to make things safer where he was working. And they kept the patent because he was he was a you know, he was a member of the U.S. Navy. That's right. So anyway, there you go. Um, let's see here. Jim Mosier. He's got Mosier Services over here in Sarasota. He worked. Uh, I hate to say for me, but he worked with me for years at the wastewater plant. I never had to ask that guy to do a thing. He handled all the maintenance. He started there. I hired him, and he started there. I never one morning did I have to say, Jim, I need you to do this or that. He was on the ball with everything. Now, whatever he does over at Moser Services, if you need it, get it from him. That's all I can tell you because that guy is on the ball. Anyway, um, we'll go on. The coating is clear, durable, and can be applied to numerous surfaces and sheds just about any liquid. It sheds the liquid, I see. Okay, the new material uses a very durable polymer matrix and a very repellent filler. The rubber-like combo can be sprayed, brushed, dipped, or spin-coated onto numerous surfaces, and it binds tightly. 
The coating also can withstand scratching, denting, and other hazards of daily use. The way the molecules separate makes the coating optically clear. It can repel water, oil, alcohol, and even peanut butter, as long as it isn't crunchy peanut butter. Okay, I added that in. Yeah, but it will. It does do peanut butter, just not crunchy peanut butter, okay? Of particular interest to the Navy is how omniphobic coatings can reduce friction drag, resistance created by the movement of a hull through water on ships, submarines, and unmanned underwater vessels. The team says the effect is like jogging through a swimming pool. And because of the water's resistance, each stride is more difficult and requires more energy and effort. A significant percentage of a ship's fuel consumption, up to 80% at lower speeds and 40 to 50% at higher speeds, goes towards maintaining its speed and overcoming friction drag. If we could find a way to drastically reduce friction drag, vessels would consume less fuel or battery power and enjoy a greater range of operations. After analyzing hundreds of combinations, researchers found the right mix for their coating. The molecular marriage was a hit during laboratory tests. Besides reducing friction drag, Tuteja envisions other Navy uses for the omniphobic coating including protecting high-value equipment like sensors, radars, and antennas from weather. In addition to omniphobic coatings to lessen friction drag, ONR is sponsoring other types of coating research to prevent corrosion on both ships and aircraft and fight biofouling, which means the building up of barnacles on the bottom of ships. So from uh, Revelation Plagues today, from uh, Fox 13, first cause of mosquito-borne keystone virus found in humans. I don't know if you heard about this, but it's here in Florida. A mosquito-borne illness that could seriously affect the brain and was previously thought to be transmitted only to animals has been found in a human for the first time. First discovered in 1964, the Keystone virus had only been found in animal populations stretching from Texas to the Chesapeake Bay. But researchers at the University of Florida recently confirmed that the virus has been found in a 16-year-old boy who first complained of unexplained symptoms last summer. After attending a band camp in northern Florida in the summer of 2016, the unidentified teen went to a walk-in clinic exhibiting a fever and rash. It took doctors more than a year to make the diagnosis. The Keystone virus can infect brain cells and may pose a risk for brain infection. Although the virus has never previously been found in humans, the infection may actually be fairly common in northern Florida. Doctors say there is a high likelihood of other undiagnosed cases of this virus. They suspect that there are a lot of people across the southeast that may have contracted the virus, but were never properly Diagnosed. That's a little bit scary there. From Morality Today, Mail Online. Parade has special meaning this year. Chuck Schumer reveals his daughter, Allison, is engaged to her girlfriend as he joins New York City's Pride March. That's a proud dad there, right? He revealed his daughter, Allison, would marry Elizabeth Wayland in November. Schumer joined elected officials Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo at the march. Really disgusting, isn't it? From Christian News, Canadian judge recognizes two men in polyamorous relationship with woman as parents of child. Two men and one woman as the parents of a child. This is gross. 
Canadian judge has ruled that two men who are involved in a polyamorous relationship with a woman who gave birth last year should both be recognized as child's parents on the birth certificate. They want both men listed as fathers. Society, this is the judge. Listen to this guy. Society is continuously changing and family structures are changing along with it, wrote Justice Robert Fowler of the Newfoundland and Labrador Supreme Court's Family Division. This must be recognized as a reality and not as a detriment to the best interests of the child. This guy should be taken out and... (laughs) Thank you. He said that it would not be in the child's best interest to deny parental recognition to both men, stating that when lawmakers passed the Children's Law Act of 1997, which only allows two parents to be named on a birth certificate, they didn't take into consideration the now complex family relationships that are common and accepted in our society. I can find nothing to disparage that relationship from the best interests of the child's point of view. To deny this child the dual parentage, paternal parentage, would not be in his best interests. That judge, I'm telling you what, this is, this is a, a horrifying world and it's getting worse by the day. From KRE 11, Vikings host the first LGBTQ summit. The Vikings became the first NFL organization to host a large-scale summit on LGBTQ issues. But the summit wasn't exactly the team's idea. It was former Vikings punter Chris Cluey's after he accused the team of firing him over his outspoken support of gay marriage and the LGBTQ community. To avoid a lawsuit, the two sides came to an agreement that included several stipulations. One of those stipulations was requiring the team to host a special summit to discuss inclusion of LGBTQ athletes in sports. The event brought in more than 200 people, including young athletes, high school and college coaches, and numerous LGBTQ organizations from across the country. Our other category, sexy metal, the missing element in the Korean puzzle. Why are people interested in Afghanistan? Lithium. Remember, they have the highest amounts of lithium in the universe, right? Well, guess what North Korea has? Rare earth metals. Okay? China has 95% of all rare earth metals. Now, a month or two ago, I reported that Japan had found a giant amount of rare earth metals, but they're underwater, and it's going to take time to develop the ability to extract those. Korea has them right now. Here we go. Pompeo, I'm sorry, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo knows the importance of rare earth elements. And North Korea has reportedly found one of the world's biggest deposits. It's 150 kilometers from Pyongyang. Is this another factor behind the recent thaw with the U.S.? Arguably, the heart of the matter in the Trump admin's embrace of Kim Jong-un has everything to do with one of the largest deposits of rare earth elements in the world. All the implements of 21st century technology-driven everyday life rely on the chemical and physical properties of 17 precious elements on the periodic chart known as REEs. Currently, China is believed to control over 95% of global production of rare earth metals with an estimated 55 million tons in deposits. North Korea, for its part, holds at least 20 million tons. 
Rare earth elements are not the only highly strategic minerals and metals in this power play. The same deposits are sources of tungsten, zirconium, titanium, hafnium, rhenium, and molybdenum. All of these are absolutely critical not only for myriad military applications, but also for nuclear power. Rare earth metallurgy also happens to be essential for U.S., Russian, and Chinese weapon systems. It's not far-fetched to consider the art of the deal, meaning Trump, applied to rare earth elements. If the U.S. does not attempt to make a serious play on the DPRK's allegedly vast rare earth resource, the winner once again may be Beijing and Moscow as well, considering the Russia-China strategic partnership now explicitly recognized on the record. The whole puzzle may revolve around who offers the best return on investment, not only real estate, but sexy metal, with the Pyongyang leadership potentially able to collect an immense fortune. Conflict over strategic minerals is inevitable. The dramas will likely unfold at or near the mines or along the transportation lines the materials must travel, and especially at world's strategic choke points the U.S. military is now generally asked to control. Again, the power equation is written to include both control of possession and denial of possession by others. Earlier this year, Japanese researchers discovered a deposit of, as I reported, 16 million tons of rare earth elements. It's less than the North Korean reserves beneath the seabed in the Western Pacific. But that's unlikely to change China's and potentially the DPRK's prominence. The key in the whole rare earth element process is to devise a profitable production chain, as the Chinese have done, and that takes a long time. So there you go. Something really interesting about what's going on and maybe why we're as interested as we are in this. We'll see. Mail online. Trump's handling of the U.S. economy gets approval from majority of Americans for the first time. Trump's economic performance gets positive reviews from 51% of U.S. adults, including 30% of Democrats. Amazingly, that's an all-time high in the CNBC All-America Economic Survey. Unemployment is at an 18-year low, and black unemployment is at an all-time low. Yes. Don't hear much of that on the MSM, do you? Fox and Friends. North Korea getting rid of its anti-American propaganda. They've had it all over the country on billboards and everything else. They're getting rid of it. Okay. And from Mail Online. Facebook can predict when you'll get married, change jobs, and even die. Patents reveal the shocking algorithms the firm runs on its users. Facebook filed a patent for a system that would use machine learning algorithms to predict life change events such as marriage, birth, and even death. Ultimately, the information would be used to serve up targeted advertisements. It's just one of a collection of patents that describes studying personal user data. Others include predicting your relationships, sleep patterns, and daily routine. And my thought is that if you start seeing a lot of coffins for sale in your scroll, then you might be checking out pretty soon because they've got that figured out. Got a less Rick for you. Well, let's see if you can figure out which article this is on. Will you marry, go shopping, or die? Facebook's betting on a sweet buy and buy. B-Y-E, B-Y-E. Now from cradle to grave, they will gladly deprave. Do whatever it takes to get you to B-U-Y, buy. So very good there, Les, wonderful. I know I didn't read it as eloquently, as, but I had to explain what he was doing. So, all right, we got a couple ironies for the week. I would call this beat it, lady. Our first one from Mail Online. 
Husband declares his marriage is over after wife salted his movie theater popcorn without permission. Hey, listen, that's treading on real dangerous territory there. Okay, Mail Online again. Indian husband files for divorce from new bride after discovering she had a beard when she removed her veil for the first time. Yes, yes. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. You know, beards aren't that bad on men, right? I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.